0: Ohio State University Winter Quarter Commencement held Sunday, March 18, 2007 at St. John Arena. 1,353 graduates received diplomas. This quarter's commencement speaker is Professor Joseph Lynch, a distinguished university professor in the Department of History at The Ohio State University.
1: It is my pleasure to welcome you to the 379th commencement of The Ohio State University. I'm honored to preside at this important ceremony as the university bestows its academic degrees on today's graduates. Let me now begin my remarks by congratulating all of today's graduates, your family members, and friends who played a supporting role in your accomplishments. A recent interview with the new Assistant Secretary of Education, Sarah Martinez Tucker, caught my attention because of what she said about her hopes for children in the United States and their opportunities for success. I quote, I would love for children in the United States of America to be able to create their own destiny, close quote. I believe the fundamental tool that allows anyone to create his or her own destiny is education, and in today's world, it is higher education. Secretary Tucker speaks from experience. She was born in Laredo, Texas, the eldest of three children of Mexican-American parents who did not attend college and who sacrificed greatly for her to gain an education. After earning bachelor's and master's degrees, Secretary Tucker went on to become the first Hispanic woman to reach AT&T's executive level, leading a $400 million division to its highest profits ever. Then, after 16 years with at t she became the president and CEO of the Hispanic Scholarship Fund, which grew to 3 million, from 3 million and 1,000 scholarships in 1996 to more than 30 million and 7,500 scholarships 10 years later. Secretary Tucker created her own destiny, and all of you here today have begun to do so as well with the tools you've obtained at this university and the many ways you have individually and collectively and selectively prepared yourselves through your experiences at Ohio State. For some of you who have earned undergraduate degrees, your destiny is beginning with a first job. For those of you with graduate degrees, your destiny may be changing course with a different job or a different position or a different title within the same career track you were on before you returned to school. For all of you, your diploma provides you with a foundation for success that will be measured in so many ways, both financially and personally, in the future. I'm going to surprise you and not cite all the benefits your Ohio State education has provided you to help shape your destiny and then offer a parting piece of advice. Instead, I'm simply going to say thank you to all of you for the contributions you have made collectively during the years you've invested in Ohio State by sharing new ideas in the classroom and advancing the image of Ohio State through your scholastic and community achievements. The list is long, so be patient. You've participated in competitions as academic teams in entrepreneurship, designing robots, solar cars, concrete canoes, and rockets. You've distinguished yourselves in the university and moot court and appellate brief competitions and debates. You've brought fame to the university by competing on athletic teams and as performers and artists and through juried exhibitions. You've shown your commitment by working with the university, city, and community organizations to improve the neighborhood environment, helping to plan for a new pre-K entity through fifth grade in the Wineland Park area. You've provided education to school-aged children about diabetes. You've volunteered at retirement homes, participated in the MLK Day of service and contributed your time at area food banks and local ones as well. You've used your skills to tutor school-aged children to provide foreign language instruction and through grant-aided work you've helped K through 12 science teachers upgrade their laboratory skills in offerings. You've designed magazines for your own program as well as for a Columbus Middle School. You've enhanced your education by being partners in cutting-edge and often groundbreaking research on a local or a global problem. You've worked with agencies and legislators in the State House and in Washington. You've published a newspaper for the campus and contributed to a radio station. You've participated on design teams to improve an aspect of the city or rebuilding the Mississippi Gulf Coast. And you've overseen the investment of a student portion of the university endowment. You reached out internationally to raise money to support people affected by natural disasters and to revitalize the physical facilities of an orphanage and then emotionally adopting the HIV-positive children within the orphanage. You've shown your school spirit by creating the Best Fans in the Land campaign and by securing the vote of students to participate in elections. It would take pages and pages of examples that you have made collectively and individually for this university to promote its engagement with society if I were to even begin to do justice to your contributions. But it's important that you graduate today, so let me simply say your presence here and your work have contributed to the destiny of Ohio State and in turn to the state, to the nation, and the world. It's clear to me that your destiny is forever entwined with the future of this great university. And even as you leave, your successes will continue to reflect upon and contribute to your alma mater. Again, I thank you for all that you have done to make this an even better university than the one you joined. And I wish you much success and much happiness as you apply your education to change the destiny of the world. My most sincere congratulations to all of you and thank you. Thank you. you. At each commencement, we ask a person of distinction to make remarks to our graduating class. This quarter, we are indeed privileged to have an Ohio State Distinguished University professor, Dr. Joseph H. Lynch as our commencement speaker. Dr. Lynch, only one of 35 faculty so honored over the past 18 years, is an expert in the history of European Middle Ages with a special interest in ancient and medieval Christianity. Professor Lynch, who earned his bachelor's degree from Boston College and master's and doctorate from Harvard University, is respected as both a teacher and as a scholar, having also received the Ohio State University Alumni Distinguished Teaching Award, our Distinguished Scholar Award, and the College of Humanities Exemplary Faculty Award. He began his academic career at Ohio State in 1971, rising through the ranks to become the Joe R. Engel Designated Professor. He served as director of Ohio State Center for Medieval and Renaissance Studies, from 1978 to 1982, and is chair of the Department of History from 1989 to 1993. He has been lauded by his peers as easily one of the finest historians of the church and religious life now at work in the general field of early medieval Europe. He has published four influential books on various aspects of the medieval church, and a fifth is nearing completion. He is also the author of a dozen essays and articles. Professor Lynch has also received national honors for his academic work, including fellowships from the National Endowment of the Humanities, the Institute for Advanced Study at Princeton, the John Simon Guggenheim Foundation, and two fellowships from the American Council of Learned Societies. Please join me in welcoming this distinguished scholar as he addresses today's graduating class. Ladies and gentlemen, Professor Joseph H. Lynch.
0: Thank you, President Holbrook. Graduates, I congratulate you warmly for this great milestone in your lives. You will probably look back on these four, five, six, or seven years as among the best of your lives. You are privileged people. You may not see that today, but you are privileged people among the 25% of adult Americans who have college degrees and among the infinitesimally small number of people on the earth who have achieved this. Be proud. This is your day. But don't forget the responsibility that your education imposes on you. I was surprised, perhaps some of you were surprised, when President Holbrook asked me to deliver this commencement address. In my 35 years at Ohio State, I have regarded myself as a mere spear carrier in the war against ignorance. Some of the people sitting sitting behind me have been issued howitzers. When my surprise passed, I was reminded of a favorite cartoon. A short, balding, chubby, middle-aged man, I identify with him, is sitting in a comfortable chair, and he's saying to no one in particular, I have gained some wisdom in my life, but nobody seems to want it. Today, I have an unexpected opportunity to impart wisdom to a captive audience. I wavered about what I should say. I have 10 laws that guide my life, Lynch's laws. I keep them closely guarded, don't give them away easily. For instance, the sixth law warns that at one meal, NEVER EAT ANYTHING BIGGER THAN YOUR OWN HEAD. <laughs> MY WIFE, Anne, WHO IS MY CLOSEST ADVISOR, SAID, THE TEN LAWS WERE NOT THE WAY TO GO. I THEN DID WHAT HISTORIANS LOVE TO DO. I DID RESEARCH. DR. RAYMOND GERLER, CURATOR OF THE UNIVERSITY'S ARCHIVES, SENT ME A COPY OF THE GRADUATION PROGRAM FOR 1907, A HUNDRED YEARS AGO. 280 STUDENTS GRADUATED THAT YEAR. That was the total. About 20% of them were women. In 1907, commencement was preceded by three busy days. At the baccalaureate service in the chapel, there was an overflow crowd, some of whom had to be turned away. Dr. David Philipson of the Hebrew Union College in Cincinnati spoke at considerable length on topics that still agitate people. I'm quoting now from his talk, which read page after page. God and the universe, life and death, the soul and its future, duty and destiny. He discussed whether science and religion can coexist. He thought they could. On class day, students delivered speeches. They read poetry. They made prophecies. And they gave a class gift of $1,101.33 to buy chimes. A ball game between faculty and senior students capped the class day festivities. On Alumni Day, the alumni did their business, electing officers, making decisions. At commencement on June 19, 2007, Ohio's governor, Andrew Harris, Ohio State's president, William Oxley Thompson, whose impressive statue stands in front of the main library, and the trustees led the academic procession to the chapel. By chance, a historian, Professor Edwin Earl Sparks, class of 1884, delivered the commencement address. He again spoke at great length about President Rutherford B. Hayes, an Ohio native, three-time governor of Ohio, and president of the United States. Hayes Hall on the Oval is named for him. After four days of fun, music, athletic competition, processions, and long speeches, the graduates of 1907 received their degrees. The graduates of 1907, born probably in the 1880s, had a life expectancy of about 40 years they could expect to live to approximately 60. Let us exercise our historical imagination and look briefly at their 40th anniversary, which would have taken place in 1947. I assume that in their personal lives, they'd had happiness. They'd had sadness. Everybody does. But in those 40 years, they had lived through remarkable developments, most of which I have no time even to mention. Some developments were better than others. When they were in their 30s, World War I broke out. When they were in their late 30s and early 40s, they enjoyed the false prosperity of the 1920s. When they were in their late 40s and early 50s, they experienced the Depression. When they were in their 50s, World War II dominated their lives, even on the home front. Some of them lived into the remarkable post-war prosperity in America. They also lived through positive changes, Women received the vote. Medical and scientific advances such as insulin and penicillin saved millions of lives. i make just a personal note. My grandfather died in 1907. Family lore says it was a simple infection, which could have been cured 20 or 30 years later, but he died from it. Uh, the, the people in the class of, of, one, of uh, 1907 saw the advent of labor-saving devices, and above all, the automobile became available to the masses. The civil rights movement and the women movement were beginning to stir in that period. But on those four days in, in 1907, I suspect they had no inkling of either the good things or the bad things that were coming. Their experience is relevant for you and the rest of us. Forgive me for assuming how old you are. Our society has opened formal education to virtually every adult age. This is a liberating development. But I'm going to assume that most graduates today were born in the 1980s. You male graduates could expect to live about 52 years. And you female graduates could expect to live about 59 years. Sorry about that, guys. I have no control over it. It's not guaranteed of course, but you have a long stretch of time ahead of you. Now let's turn our historical imagination to your 40th reunion in 2047. I'm sure today you can't even imagine 2047, but it's coming. You will have experienced happiness and sadness in your lives, but beyond that I don't know what your collective future will be. No one knows. I think that you, like the class of 1907, are going to face challenges and experience events, some of which seem visible to us now, but my point is others are utterly unforeseen. We live in the most analyzed and commented upon period in human history. The analysts and the commentators vigorously disagree with one another, so we hear a lot of yelling. To stand out in the herd, some analysts turn to hype and exaggeration. Their analysis of the present and the future is often quite gloomy. Let's take the word crisis. When I entered the word crisis in the Ohio State Library database, I received 15,700 hits. When I entered it in the website of the bookseller Amazon, I received 250,000 hits for the word crisis. At least to judge from book titles, we are in a sea of crises. Do not become depressed. And whatever you do, don't don't poke that chirpy person next to you. They just can't help it. Calvin Coolidge, not one of our best presidents, but the possessor of a dry New England Yankee wit, once said that if you see 10 troubles coming down the road, you can be sure nine will run into the ditch before they reach you. The challenge for you and for your generation will be to recognize which troubles are real, and which will fall in the ditch, and what actions they demand from you. All right, what troubles occupy us now, occupy our consciousness now? Let's start big with the Earth itself. The sources of global warming remain somewhat controversial, but the Earth's temperature is rising. The implications of a warming Earth seem staggering. Massive migrations of people fleeing rising water. Economic shifts as some areas benefit and other areas suffer. This crisis is motivating some of our contemporaries to be thrifty with their use of energy. Fluorescent light bulbs, higher auto mileage, recycling, searches for new sources of energy, and other measures should certainly be adopted. But if the earth continues to warm, and again it's one of those troubles coming down the road, you will live your lives in ways very different from what you now think is normal. 2047 will be dramatically different from from 2007. Demographic changes are also underway. Aging, even shrinking populations in the United States and Europe, will confront growing populations in much of the rest of the world. That could bring in massive cultural and political shifts. We in Ohio are acutely aware that economic changes are in motion. Manufacturing jobs are disappearing at an alarming rate. Our society is also experiencing dramatic change in the ways that adults relate to each other, in the ways that our fellow citizens marry or don't marry, in the ways that parents interact with children. I can't even formulate a guess about how those intertwined demographic, economic, social changes will have turned out when you gather in 2047. Your future is also full of promise, much of it unforeseen. Health problems that plague so many will perhaps be significantly mitigated or even cured by 2047. The amazing technological advances of the last century may continue during your lifetime. In the tradition of American adaptability and optimism, your generation may find ways to cope with global warming, aging populations, economic shifts, and social changes. Now that I have broken many of the rules of commencement speeches by dwelling on problems, I shall change my direction. Let me recalculate your life expectancies. You female graduates have about 21,500 days. And you male graduates have about 19,000 days with which to make a life. You have some control, but just some, over how you will use or even spend those days. I hope I don't need to tell you to seek personal happiness and professional success. Beyond those, try to prepare yourself for inevitable, often unexpected, and sometimes uncontrollable change, some of which will be good, some of which will be bad, most of which we cannot see today. Your education at Ohio State, I'm talking now particularly to undergraduates, had two large components, something we call a major, where you gain certain kinds of skills, and a general education. You usually identify yourself by your major, you know, if you ask a student, they say, I majored in electrical engineering, or I majored in French. But I, and I do hope that the Ohio State University has prepared you to earn your bread. But you are more than your job. The Ohio State University can be proud that thus far, it has maintained the structures of an undergraduate liberal education, an education intended to liberate people from the narrow world of their own immediate experience. Such a view of the purposes of education has a long history, going back to the ancient Greeks. Pressure for ever more specialized undergraduate training threatens that liberal education. but at Ohio State, it continues to thrive, sometimes eagerly, sometimes with a sigh of resignation, sometimes kicking and screaming. You have studied a mix of mathematics, the biological and physical sciences, the social and behavioral sciences, the humanities, foreign languages, the arts. That part of your education has given you a foundation for for coping with the wider issues of your future. Your liberal education did not teach you everything, an impossible task. But it moved you toward important personal goals that I shall call intellectual and moral autonomy, toward the ability to make judgments based on facts rather than on myths or prejudices, to separate hype from fact, and to ask yourself constantly, what does my experience mean? Why are things the way they are? Do they have to be that way? Your privileged education, combining a major and general learning, can enable you to be a good citizen with an inquiring mind whose interests are broad and whose values are well thought out and honest. Your quest for intellectual autonomy cannot end today when you receive your degree. You are merely beginning, commencing. That's why they call this thing a commencement. You are commencing a lifelong journey. Only through experience and reflection on that experience can you gain a liberating understanding of yourself, of the narrow world right around you, and of the rich world that extends back in time, across geography, across cultures, and out into the universe itself. Each of us lives in a world flooded with so-called facts, uh, covered with a thick coating of Hui and hype, and error. You need to read widely, but with skepticism, so you can guard against the hooey, the hype, and the misleading arguments. Your general, general education can help you, but only if you pursue it for the rest of your life. The effort to achieve intellectual adulthood intellectual autonomy is well worth it. You will have a richer life for it, and you'll be better able to cope with the unforeseen and the unexpected. You also need to strive for moral autonomy, moral adulthood. Use your quota of days to promote fairness, kindness, compassion, justice. Find some need that lifts you, liberates you from the personal, professional, private aspects of your life. Commit your money and your energy to the needs, or maybe just one need, of the society in which we live. I can only mention a sample of the broad range of needs. Museums need help. Cultural institutions need help. Religious institutions need help. Soup kitchens need help. Efforts at decent housing need help. Effective politics needs help. School volunteering needs help. Your neighbors need help. And I recommend to you that as you seek moral autonomy, that you commit yourself to some aspect of that. There is much more need than there is help. Your efforts can close the gap between need and help, if only a little. Today, the university awards you both your well-deserved diploma and your symbolic spear. Now, let me say immediately, they will not give you a spear. Okay. <laughs> don't, don't be waiting for it, all right? You're just going to get a diploma. But I award you your well-deserved diploma and your symbolic spear to defend reason against unreason, to defend, to defend evidence against closed minds or outright lies, to, to promote kindness against indifference and hostility, and to promote in our public life civility against noisy ranting. Thank you for your patience. Congratulations for your many achievements. Do not let this happy day pass without saying out loud the word thanks to those who helped you reach this moment. Good luck in your pursuit of a satisfying career, but also good luck in your pursuit of intellectual autonomy and moral adulthood. Thank you.